This is the Family Practice Podcast, an informal, interview-style podcast exploring the stories, experiences, and expertise of LGBTQ medical providers. I'm your host, George Fraley. Welcome to the Family Practice Podcast. Today we have Paul Elgio with us from Seattle. Thanks for being here, Paul. Thank you. So, Paul, tell us a little bit about what you do. So I work as a physician assistant, but I'm also a pharmacist in a primary care clinic that uh, sees adults 18 and older, and so we can see anybody who needs primary care services, but we happen to see a lot of folks who are uh, LGBT and HIV positive and folks who are seeking PrEP to prevent HIV infection. How long have you been a, a PA in PharmD? Going on six years. Six years? Okay. And can you tell the folks listening kind of what a PharmD is? Yeah. So PharmD is a pharmacist. So any pharmacist you see at a pharmacy in the community or a pharmacist you see in a hospital, they most likely have the PharmD, the pharmacy doctorate degree. And it just means that I went to pharmacy school and I'm a licensed pharmacist. So I could work in a pharmacy, but I don't. I work in a clinic. Why don't you work in a pharmacy? Uh, I felt partway through pharmacy school that the PA profession seemed very interesting um, to me to marriage my goal of doing clinical work, but also social work. And so in an outpatient clinic setting like the one I practice in, I get to be very social with my patients and watch them uh, over time and get to know them and they get to know me. But it's also pretty clinical work as a primary care provider, as somebody who's in charge of somebody's health. Um, And a pharmacist does important work too, but it can be just a little bit more limiting depending on the setting that you work in. Mm -hmm. And what kind of drove you to get into LGBT primary internal medicine? Well, as a gay man myself, it's Mm -hmm. close to my heart. (laughs) And so I was very fortunate that just about a year after graduating, I discovered and was hired at my at this current job um, that caters essentially to the LGBTQ population, and so it's it's a privilege and it's fun and it's important that I can be a provider to folks in a culturally competent way, and I think it provides better care. Why do you think it provides better care? Um, I mean, I can think of just today where some conversations that patients have had with me that I don't think they would have with other providers if they didn't know they were a gay or a gay-friendly provider. Um, So it can get pretty personal. Um, Not that you have to be gay in order to to be culturally competent and provide good care to gay patients um, or trans patients or queer patients, but I think it it can help. It can bridge the gap much more quickly and easily if you have some kind of common background with the patient. Yeah. Is there, um, like from the example from today, was it something that you felt like was um, something that people maybe if they'd brought it up to a different provider would have been, you know, shamed or... Yeah, so uh, the patient today, I think it just because it's involving a, a private part, like, mm-hmm. you know, most folks get a little um, 
know, embarrassed or, you know, just unsure about bringing up issues that involves their private parts. And, you know, today it was a very detailed conversation about this person's private part and some issues going on. Mm -hmm. And, um, and if he didn't have a, you know, honestly a gay provider, I don't think the provider could have really understood exactly what was going on and could provide some specific recommendations that are going to help out. Mm -hmm. Um, I've had another patient recently who lives you know, 30 minutes away and he was seeing a provider in his area, but he got fed up because he felt like he, uh, couldn't, he felt weird or ashamed about asking for a rectal swab for an STD screen Mm -hmm. to be screened for STDs in his anus. And so he's like, I'm done with this. I'm going to find a provider who gets it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what does it mean to you to be like a provider who gets it? Uh, it's great. I mean, as, uh, as a gay man myself, I can sympathize because I want a provider who gets it with me Mm -hmm. and where you don't have to explain and, you know, explain everything in great detail to somebody who hasn't had a similar experience, um, who can understand where you're coming from Mm -hmm. and who isn't, uh, going to judge you for, for what you need to talk about that day. Yeah. Have you, like, I'll, I'll give an example first. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, I was in college and I went to a primary care provider and they told me that anal sex uh, made you get hemorrhoids and that if you didn't want hemorrhoids, you couldn't have anal sex. And I was like, what? That's, yeah. that's so crazy. But um, those types of, like, misinformation conversations can sometimes take place did you, have you ever received any of that as yourself being a patient? Have you ever had any run-ins with providers where you yourself felt uncomfortable? Yeah, I mean, I can remember, and this is you know back in college when I was still in the closet, so that's definitely a factor. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I had this rash on my hands, and I thought for sure it was herpes because mm-hmm. <laughs> your mind goes there. Yeah. Especially if you're a closeted gay man, you kind of go to the worst possible outcome and luckily this lovely nurse practitioner was like, it's not herpes. It's just eczema. You know, it's like a simple (laughs) rash. You're going to be fine. Um, but it was, it was a very scary encounter that really doesn't need to be, you know, when you have like a benign, simple rash that is nothing, but you go there when you're unsure about how somebody's going to react to your background and your identity. So you mentioned that you were in the closet during college. When did you come out? I came out when I was 25, which is about eight or nine years ago. (laughs) Okay. And were you in PA program or PharmD program, or where were you at in your career? I was, it was in the pharmacy program. I believe it was right before I started the PA program. Okay. Yeah. And how was that for you being out in your medical training? It was great. I mean, it it was a very supportive environment at the pharmacy school I went to. There were some a few other out gay men uh, in different classes, and so, you know, you kind of come out when you come out. You know, like you could look back. You know, you can easily look back and be like, oh, I could have came out a few years earlier. But um, yeah, it was a good environment and it was supportive. Mm-hmm. And so, what drew you to kind of HIV care in of itself? Like, was it um, being attached to the community or is there anything with your farm D and like the HIV pharma pharmacology that was sort of attractive? 
I, after graduating school and having a new physician assistant degree and a new pharmacy degree, so I did this dual degree track, so I came, I finished, and I had both at the same time, so I hadn't been a pharmacist beforehand or a PA beforehand. Um, I wanted, I knew I wanted to be a physician assistant or practice as one, um, and I wanted a, a PA job that would utilize my pharmacy skills and so not all PA positions would do that to a large degree. For example, a lot of PAs go into orthopedic surgery, mm-hmm. and you're not going to prescribe very many different drugs in that setting. Um, and so I was thinking of primary care. I was thinking of HIV, mm-hmm. um, cardiology, oncology, kind of different specialties where drugs are a little bit more important or you need to be a little bit more of an expert when it comes to the drug management for that specialty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and HIV is definitely always changing. Yeah. Like, there were, like, three single-tablet regimens that came out in the past, like... It's crazy <laughs> how... Because I've been doing HIV care for about five years now, and I feel like the rate at which new th- drugs are coming out has increased in the last year, year and a half even though we have very good options currently. So it's, it's a cool phenomenon that um, companies are still coming out with new things that mm-hmm. are better. Yeah, it's like more convenient, fewer side effects, right. different combinations based off resistance. But yeah, it's definitely become more and more. You, it's really like a lot of options. Yeah, and days. it's a lot to keep up on, you know, to your point. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Um, so you've been doing this line. So did you start doing HIV medicine when you were first... A PA or did you have a different position beforehand? My very first job was a family medicine clinic and I was there for about 10 months before I got, I heard word of this current job with Peter Shallot. And so my first job was family medicine. So I saw babies, I saw all ages, kind of did everything. Um, and it was, uh, very not HIV. It was in a, uh, rural area outside of Seattle called Puyallup. Mm-hmm. more conservative. And so it was um, a little interesting because there were definitely other providers that were quite conservative there. And so the culture was a little bit of a culture clash sometimes. Were you out there at that job? Uh, n- not exactly. I came out to my immediate coworker, who was another new PA who got hired at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I eventually came out to my supervising physician a few months later, but I still had to, I had to work up to that, mm-hmm. even though I was basically out otherwise. What were you worried would happen? Um, I don't think I was worried per se about losing my job. I was more worried about there being um, awkwardness or tension, you know, day to day working with the supervising physician. Um, there were other physicians in that clinic site who would listen to Rush Limbaugh on the radio during lunch and, you know, who are Mormon and not to say all Mormons are like conservative or like anti-gay, but you know, a lot of them can be. And, but it was a beautiful thing. I remember, I think I even like sent him an email coming out to him via email and, uh, and he's a, he's a man of few words. He responded, great. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's affirmative. And yeah. and then like later on, we became Facebook friends, and I quickly realized he's actually a pretty liberal guy. Okay. Yeah. So it worked out. And now, um, you mentioned your preceptor, and he's an out gay man. Is how's that affected your like PA um, 
preceptor sort of relationship to have somebody, you know, who's also gay. Yeah, it's it's been great. I mean, so my relationship with Peter, who's my supervising physician, my boss, um, but he's also become like a friend and a mentor. Um, it's just a totally different environment when you can kind of let your hair down with him and others in the office and really talk about cases and you, you do that at any clinic, but then you can really get into like the cultural and societal aspects of cases and patient care and your personal experiences. And there's a lot of commiserating about um, how we think we should be providing care and um, how it affects us. Mm-hmm. And what is your general approach to like LGBT care in terms of um, patient-centeredness, navigating that? Yeah, in general, I have a philosophy where um, I'm pretty casual and try to create a very open space, and that syncs up perfectly with uh, the clinic I work at with Peter's Clinic because he's also very much like that. Um, You know, when you have a new patient who is gay or lesbian or queer or transgender, you just can't make any assumptions. And so what my philosophy is just to come in casually, keep it casually, first name basis, um, let them kind of lead the discussion a little bit and let them know that we have other patients who are like them and that we, you know, provide care for them. Yeah, I've often experienced the um, sort of joy of a patient or I don't know if joy is the right word, but but this feeling of relaxation maybe when mm-hmm. they find out that they're in like a really gay and safe space. It just seems to, to make them feel like they can really express themselves a little bit more. Yeah, and, you know, uh, it helps to have symbols that mm-hmm. they can see in, you know, in the clinic. And so we have some like uh, pride flags and trans pride flags hanging up and, you know, little clippets and brochures about more, um, about topics that might pertain to them more than like a general patient population. And so you can kind of create a welcoming environment in in that respect as well. Yeah, and you do quite a bit of like teaching as well, right? Yeah, so luckily um, Peter is very supportive of precepting students and so we usually precept, um, you know, three to five students every year for at least a month at a time. But we have regular uh, rotations of residents, medical students, and other students who come through. And then I do teach a, um, uh, a pharmacology course to PA students once a year as well. And why, what's your motivation for teaching? Uh, I've always been interested in teaching. I almost became a teacher uh, instead of going into pharmacy school. That Mm. was kind of like the big deciding point for me. Um, uh, Even in high school, I was like kind of thinking about going down that track more so than science. Um, So I've always, it's always been a goal for me professionally to get teaching into the mix. And so it's been nice that over the years I've been able to do kind of a little bit more each year or so with precepting students. And I could see, you know, later on in five to ten years, maybe being more half-time teaching full-time and half-time clinic type of mix. 
Mm-hmm. And are all your students LGBT identified or? No. Yeah. So it's a mix, which is also really nice. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, you know, you could argue it might be even more beneficial for the non-LGBT identified students to rotate through our clinic. How so? Uh, because they um, learn a lot, not just about uh, the technical aspects of providing care for gay men or women or transgender men or women, but they learn how to provide care, again, in this culturally competent fashion. And that is really the magic of a good healthcare provider mm-hmm. is not always knowing the right answer right away for every situation, but like how you provide the care and how you interact with the patient. And so that's a great thing that our clinic uh, illustrates to students who come through. Mm-hmm. And so do, where do you, do you see yourself becoming like a, a teacher in the future? Is that something you see in your... Yeah, I can see myself teaching part-time or more at like a PA program. Mm-hmm. Um, but clinic is fun. You know, it's fun to see patients, especially when, when you, once you get a few years under, underneath your belt in a clinic, especially clinic where you see patients over and over like a primary care clinic. It's really fun. Yeah, and Seattle's not a huge town right I mean, it's a big town but it's not a huge town what's it like for you to be sort of a visible out gay provider in the seattle community it, it's different because i'm mean, comparing it to my very first job which is outside of seattle um and just kind of like you know another primary care provider that you could see on the list of 40 providers for this clinic uh now with my current job in seattle I mean, like you said, it's not small, but it's not huge. And there is a demand for, you know, gay providers specifically that gay patients want to have. And there's not enough providers out there. And so we kind of become, uh, this clinic has become uh, sought after uh, in part because of that and also because it's been in existence since 1990. And so Mm -hmm. people know about it word of mouth. Um, and, you know, you, everybody wants to have a provider that gets them. And so that's what they're looking for when they come here. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So what do you do outside the clinic? What, what do you spend your time doing? Well, I've been getting more into baking. So <laughs> I just made some <laughs> chocolate babka last night. Yum. Yeah, first time. So we'll see how that tastes tomorrow. Um, I'm very involved in, uh, my church. I go to a Lutheran ELCA church, which is the more liberal flavor of Lutheran churches versus more conservative flavor in the nation. Um, and so I'm on the church board or council. And so pretty involved with that. Um, I just, my husband and I became licensed foster parents a few months ago and we just got our first foster child two and a half months ago. So that's a new big thing, being a parent for the first time. How old? He is six and a half months. Oh, he, wow. Okay, yeah. so young. Yeah, baby. I mean, obviously young. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And it's it's really great. He's t- I mean, luckily, I think objectively he's a well-dispositioned, chill baby, which mm. is great for a first-time parent. <laughs> but he is just great. And so the daily and weekly rhythm has changed a little bit, but... Um, 
you know, definitely wouldn't go back. And so that's been the biggest change recently. Cool. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. I'm curious about your faith mm-hmm. and how that sort of motivates your drive to be in medicine and, and you know, how that inspires you or, or how it works for you. Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting now that I've been doing practicing medicine for a little while now. Um, it's interesting. You'll come across every now and then patients and you could argue or you could propose that this might happen more often in the LGBT population because that population tends to be a little bit more, um, maybe has had a bad experience with organized religion. Mm-hmm. And so they're either atheists or, you know, not going to church or don't want to talk about it. Um, but you will find sometimes folks who, uh, don't even ascribe to like a spirituality and, and, you know, medicine, bad things happen. You know, your health isn't guaranteed. And when bad things happen, it sometimes can be helpful to have something to believe in or have some faith in or fall back onto or have a sense of like, well, it's going to be okay eventually. Mm -hmm. And not that like I preach that at all in my (laughs) medicine because I'm not here to preach. (laughs) But, um, you know, I would argue that, um, at least with Christianity, uh, you know, the tenets of like love and support and, you know, the goal of kind of feeling whole intrinsically is there. And so you want that as a provider for your patients too. And so you help them try to find some ways to find peace if they're lacking peace or, uh, acceptance if it's hard to accept a diagnosis which sometimes it is and uh, so to walk with them you know to kind of be uh, support for them and how does religion um, support you yeah uh, it does you know it's it's interesting like I don't pray that much uh, you know I feel like I don't do much proactive what you would expect you know religious practices you know I go to church um, that's a great community uh, for me, you know, it was somewhere around junior year of undergrad, I just had this moment where I'm like, you know what, I'm just going to accept that Jesus is for me, so to speak, or he's in my corner. Mm-hmm. And so when I'm like really down or feeling alone or feeling uh, broken for whatever reason, I can rely on that fact that he's there or like something's there to kind of carry me through. And you know, so you can kind of get cerebral or intellectual about it. Like you could, you know, maybe religion isn't true or God's not there, but if you kind of, you know, ascribe to these thoughts, it can be pretty helpful to carry you through tough situations. And sometimes that manifests itself through people around you, you know? So maybe a patient really needs just a few kind words and I can be that or, Maybe somebody just needs a friend to call them up and be like, hey, what's going on? And that can be that support that carries you through. How is the church with your family? Um, How do you mean? Well, um, is your partner also involved in the church that you go to? Yeah, so uh, Kevin, my husband, he introduced me to the Lutheran church that we go to. Um, And we both were were raised uh, religious. He's been a Lutheran his whole life. I was raised Catholic. And then went to a Presbyterian church for a little while in undergrad. And then kind of stopped going to church for a little while until I met Kevin. So he got me back. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So, yeah, in my extended family, pretty much everybody is, goes to church or, you know, would describe themselves as Christian. Okay. And so it sounds like your church has been pretty accepting of you and Kevin. And Yeah. The, uh, yeah, our church is, is amazing. And so we got married there about mm-hmm. two years ago. Um, they had married a lesbian couple, you know, a few years before that. And so we are an open and affirming congregation and very progressive. Um, not to say that we're not still working on being better about things, but yeah, the, my church, it's more, it's, it's like, it's the community, it's the church family, you know, it's the people there that really make it special. Yeah. In your personal life, um, just as being kind of a religious, but also gay person, has that caused any sort of conflicts in your social life or, um, are people understanding of that or how does that flow in your day to day? Yeah, it's, um, you know, it's interesting. I think I've come to the point where when I do talk to somebody who maybe has been burnt by organized religion, you know, I kind of just, you know, let it be and, you know, try to be, um, like soft around that person, not try to like put it in their face, mm-hmm. so to speak. Uh, but I, I understand uh, how religion can be hurtful to folks or how folks have been hurt by it because I was in the closet for many years, you know, until 25. And there were many years where I had just wished I was straight. God, can you just make me straight? And mm-hmm. life would be so much easier and simpler Um, and that's that societal pressure, expectations, you know, shaming, guilt. Um, and I think that, that, that actually does help me also with patient care because a lot of, you know, some of my patients for sure have been burnt out and, you know, hurt by it, you know, explicitly. And, and that really, um, pains me as well because, in my opinion, you know, at least with the New Testament, like it's mostly pretty positive stuff. If you especially look at like what Jesus did and said. Um, and so it's really how people have carried out the church tenets or like Christian tenets towards people growing up as like gay or lesbian or trans or queer that they've used it in a really hurtful way. And uh, in my experience, it's been a very, uh, opening, comforting, uh, even like intellectually interesting kind of experience being like religious. Um, and it's just, it's kind of sad. It's unfortunate that some folks have been, so, that it's been used to hurt folks. Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, that feeling you had before of like, gosh, if I was just straight, life would be yeah. so much easier. Um, how has that progressed for you? that, that feeling from then to where you're at now? It's totally different. So you know, as soon as I came out, uh, it felt good mm-hmm. and it felt right. And there was no doubt in my mind you know, at that point that I'm like, Oh God did create me, create me this way. Uh, this is who I am. It's like, I can't cut my arm off. This is, this is who I am. You know, I am what I am by the grace of God. And um, so that was a really difficult thought process to have then. And that really gives uh, gave me a lot of insight into how 
damaging and destructive it can be to be in the closet, especially as a religious, religiously raised person. Um, but now, you know, uh, I don't really see any, um, contradiction or conflict with like a higher power or Christian God and me being gay. Um, you know, some folks can quote some things from the Bible, but it's, it's focusing, you know, it's kind of like looking at the, getting lost in the trees instead of keeping your eyes on the forest in terms of like the larger themes and messaging of, um, the Bible and then like the Christian tenets. Mm-hmm. Does religion have any part of your self care? You know, I mean, the, this job can be sometimes quite overwhelming, yeah. um, impersonal. And I think also for, for myself, I'll speak for me, like as a gay man talking to gay people, queer people about the traumas that they've experienced in life, it's hard not to, in some ways, um, internalize them because you can relate so deeply to what's happened um, and so for me, like, there's oftentimes things outside the clinic I need to do for self-care. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if your church or your community, um, which I know are sometimes synonymous, if that helps you with any of that. Yeah, I, I think it does quite a bit. I mean, it's interesting because I recall vividly when I was in the closet and going to this Presbyterian church that I think officially at the time probably would be a little more not welcoming to the gays versus welcoming and affirming. Um, I remember for that one hour every Sunday for a while, I felt the most at peace in terms of my inner turmoil and my inner thoughts racing of like, why can't you be straight or why can't it be like that? And I always thought that it was just God or the Holy Spirit or something that was just calming me down in that time period or during that time frame. And it really imprinted on me in the sense of when I see patients today, you know, who are stressed or anxious or just getting burnt out by life or work, et cetera. I don't think, Oh, you should be at church one hour a day. But I think, I think they should do something where you have to be quiet and kind of listen or reflect or meditate Mm -hmm for a certain period of time regularly, whether it's once a week or every day. I think there's something to that that calms you down and calms your, you know, um, adrenaline down and whatnot, and you can kind of calm your thoughts down. Uh, And that was really therapeutic for me (laughs) as a closeted gay man, ironically. (laughs) Could, when you were growing up, could you envision sort of the life you have now, like in connection to the church, being there with your husband? Um, like, did you see that in your future? No. <laughs> I'm trying <laughs> to think back what I was thinking my future looked like. I was such a planner and risk-averse type of kid, and um, I kind of got that from my dad, which is has some great um, effects, but kind of, you know, being too risk-averse isn't great also. Um I was just, I had my nose in the books and my head so focused on like, just get to undergrad, get a job or get graduate degree, get a job, you know, financial security, that's what you're aiming for. And then you can kind of figure out everything else. So I definitely didn't necessarily have a vision of having a husband and now a foster baby and working in a clinic where I see gay men all the time Mm -hmm. (laughs) and it's like a dream job. And so it has really 
worked out wonderfully. And um, I guess I attribute that also somewhat to just taking it one step at a time and trying to be as uh, honest with yourself each step of the way. And I think things will just fall into place how they fall into place. And it'll be a good result if you're able to do that. Yeah. Now, what I've been asking everybody, what advice would you give um, somebody who is going, who's thinking about getting into queer health or queer medicine? What sort of advice would you give those people? Um, I guess I would say to try to connect or shadow or work for folks who are doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a pretty obvious thing. Um, you know, uh, for me, it's, it's interesting because I feel like I have a little bit of an insider's perspective as a gay man. Um, not that I know everything about like queer health. Um, but the thought I'm having right now is how, uh, our church is doing a lot of anti-racism work mm-hmm. and, um, and how that's been a big learning curve for me in the last few years. And what I tell folks sometimes who are starting to learn more about that, those issues is, you know, it's really helpful if you like read some books or find a podcast or something alternative you can listen to or read regularly that will help you inform your, your um, understanding of that culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that might be really helpful for folks who are looking to get into a medical, um, like queer medicine is to find some alternative sources to get more informed. Mm-hmm. But I think if you can, yeah, work with somebody or shadow or volunteer. What else do you think we should know? About? About your experience. and You know, it's, again, it's kind of funny. Um, I feel very privileged and lucky actually to be here, I guess, when I reflect on it, because I almost missed this opportunity to have this job. Like, it, it just happened really by circumstance, and it could have easily not happened. And so, um, you know, I'm thinking also now, like I played football in high school and they would always say success is um, opportunity meets preparedness. Mm-hmm. And so being prepared is kind of in your control and you just have to wait for that opportunity. And luckily for me, I feel like I've been very good in general, at least academically and and whatnot, to be prepared. And then when the opportunity comes by, you can jump on it. Um, and... Yeah, I love what I do. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Paul. Thank yeah, you for being with us. Really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Please note that this podcast is about individual experiences in healthcare and may be different from what you've experienced. If you would like to share your story, please message us on our website, familypracticepodcast.com, and we'll be in touch. The information discussed in this podcast should not be used for personal medical decision-making. Any views or opinions expressed in this podcast do not represent the views or opinions of any organizations mentioned. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. There'll be a new episode in your feed in about two weeks, and thank you again for listening.